All right, good morning to you. Let's turn together to the book of Matthew 28. We have uh, completed our uh, journey through the Gospel of Mark. And um, if you were here last week, or if you tuned in last week, oh, hey, let there be light. So uh, if you're here last week, we looked at the end of Mark and recognized that it's a it's we've lost it. It's gone. How did Mark end his gospel? Uh, if you are really in, if you missed it last week, and you're really into like ancient manuscripts and how the Bible got put together, go listen to last week the podcast or the you know live stream, whatever it is. Basically, we the end of Mark has been lost, and, we, and no one is real sure what happened to it. And so, some folks tried to plug in their own endings, um, but we do know that Matthew used Mark as one of his primary sources, that 95% of the book of Mark shows up in the book of Matthew. And because of that, and because of how much is missing from Mark, and they've, like all these Bible geniuses have kind of put things together, and uh, one, one of the positions on how did Mark end is that you can look at Matthew, and uh, Matthew we have preserved, Mark we did not, and since Matthew pulled from Mark, we think the end of Matthew is the end of Mark, and so what I want to do today is kind of really complete what we think could be the, the thought trajectory of Mark's gospel, as well as um, hanging out in this whole resurrection theme, right? Lots of, of focus on the cross and Good Friday and all that stuff, going through Lent, and all that stuff is so important. And sometimes we get to, yeah, Easter Sunday you celebrate and then you kind of move past it kind of quickly. And so we're going to hang out in this like zone of... Uh, what happened between the resurrection and the ascension. We're going to look at different encounters that God had with different people. Some of that will happen in community group, and some of that will happen here uh, on Sundays. Um, but I want to look at the, at, what, at the very last part of Mark and look at it through the lens of a resurrected Jesus handing this down. So um, these are the verses that they think were the end of Mark. It's 9 and 10 in 28. Uh, chapter 28, 9 and 10, and then you jump to 16. And so we'll kind of look at this together. Look at verse 9. Behold, Jesus met them, uh, them being the, the women who were at the tomb. Um, he said, greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And then Matthew has something in there that, is, that, wouldn't, that was not... A, have been a part of Mark's gospel. And then 16 is where Mark would have picked up again. It says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Okay, so let's stop right there. Um, Jesus has uh, risen. That is the most important thing about this. Right? What's the main takeaway from those verses? Jesus is alive. Okay? Jesus is alive in this moment. That we're here, he's alive in this part of the text. Jesus has always been alive and will be alive. Um, and, and so, like, the living in front of them, resurrected Jesus, that's the most important thing that we can take away. Notice the, like, multi-century proof, right? They, they see him. They hear him speak. I don't know what that is. They hear him speak. Uh, and they touch him. Three out of, three out of the five. In Luke's account, let me read that Luke's account to you. 
Um, he, he says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. Okay? So, multisensory, like Jesus is like giving them all these opportunities to prove it for themselves. Um, they, uh, he, he is not uh, resuscitated. Okay? He's not in front of them with all the wounds from the crucifixion. He's not bruised and beaten up and all that kind of stuff. He is recreated. He is whole and healed and he is uh he's he's not the same as he was going like coming out as he was going in okay he is a new creation in front of them and that's just such an important part to remember which i'll touch on about a thousand times in the next little while okay uh they have there's various responses right some some are worshiping him some are like doubting what's going on some are like this is too good to be true they're kind of caught up caught up in it uh, there's a wide variety of experiences that people have about the resurrection, uh, even down to his own disciples, like standing in front of him. You know, so uh, it's a lot to process. It's a lot to work through. But what does it? What does it mean? And there's no way I can sum up what what it means that Jesus is standing in front of them. Uh, it's volumes have been written on this. Let me let me just tell you one thing for today. It means that Jesus won. He won. Just to, to think about, like, the victorious Christ is standing in front of them in this moment. Of all the ways that God could have communicated to us, all the things he wanted to tell us, like about who he is and who we are and what went wrong and how he's going to fix it, of all the ways he could have done that, he chose to, to write a story and put it in a book for us to for us to read. And yes, that story involved actual people, like all great stories do. But storying, like that's how we that's how we learn, right? It's how you it's how you share bits of who you are, you know, and how how life has formed you and shaped you, and how you explain yourself. And there are so many times when when someone begins to share like backstory about their life, and then you're like, oh, okay, you you make a little more sense to me now, right? Stories, that's, what, that's how it is, that's how God built us. And he's told this story, this, this love story, not in the way that we have come to think of it, but it is the love, love is the theme the, the whole time, and it's centered around this victorious Jesus who's standing there. The victory that he, where he took sin and death and evil, he took it all upon himself and said, do your worst, and it did. And he took it to the grave and then he got up and he left it all there. Like that's, that's the victory. That's the battle won in order to free the sons and daughters of God from their true oppressor. I mean, it's, it's a story. It's the story. It's what every story you've ever heard is just a shadow of that story, right? And so Jesus won. He is standing victoriously in front of them which makes his next statement all the more powerful, and that's the context by which he says, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is, that is awesome. 
Like that is, that's like a movie line, right? Here he is, the victorious Jesus. May as, may as well have like a crown on and a sword in his hand, you know, and the big robe. Like whatever, whatever you think the victor looks like, he looks like that times infinity. And then he says, all the authority of heaven and earth is given to me. Like this is a part of the hymn that the early church sang along these lines from Philippians 2. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what they sang about him. This is what we sing about him. This is this is all in this this moment and what do you do with that kind of power, right? What do you do with that kind of victory? We live in a culture that loves to celebrate um, like victories over we- like weird things, and uh, like sports. Sports would be one of them, right? Like you win the the World Series, the Super Bowl, or whatever it is, and there's a there's a big party, and then there's a parade, and there's like all these things, and. And even like when LSU won the national championship, there's a big parade and they bring them in the, in the place and they bring them all up there. And like, what do you, what do you do with, with that moment? Who do you point to in that moment? Well, humans point to themselves, right? It's their opportunity to exalt themselves and talk about how awesome they are and all that kind of stuff. We, we know what happens with that, with that kind of victory. What do you do with, with, um, with power? All the authority of heaven's been given to me. What do you, what do people do with power? Well, humans tend to oppress people with their power, right? That's what we've seen. It's in the history books. It's on the news. It's in conversations. You find where, how, who do I have power over, and how can I like use that to make myself like higher somehow, whatever it is. It, it, we have, we have problems, right? This this though this is different. Like this is. Victory over the most undefeatable thing and all the authority of heaven given to him. And so what does he do in this moment? He's standing in, in front of these disciples who um, most of them scattered and abandoned him. Uh, he's, he's won the victory. He's proven that he's, he is who he says he, he is and he, was, he did what he said he was going to do. And now he's got all the authority, he's got the victory, he's got the power, he has everything there, his disciples are there, here's this moment, what does he do with it? He shares it. Like he, he shares it. Which shouldn't come as a surprise to us. It says in Isaiah 53, part of the prophecy was like, he's going to share it. It says, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. He, spoil, he, he shares the spoils of that victory with the sons and daughters that he just freed. That's what he does with it. Who, who does that with their power? Who does that with their authority? Who, what kind of victor stands in front of everyone and instead of, of boasting in himself and saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, who, who looks at, at everyone and says, everybody needs to be a part of this. Everybody needs to be a part of it. That's the context for what we have come to call the Great Commission. If you grew up Baptist, 
You're very familiar with the Great Commission, right? Southern Baptists love these verses, and rightfully so. Powerful, powerful stuff. But the, the context is really important to remember. So with all that in mind, he says, All the authority in heaven has been given to me. Look at, look at verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is how Luke says it in chapter 24. Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. He's looking at them, okay? Visualize it. He's looking at them and saying, you are witnesses of this. You see what's going on here. You see what needs to be shared. And one of the significant ways that he shares this victory is through his people. It began with them, and it spread through time, and then we got here. Like we're, we're a part of the flow of this verse actually happening. And the instruction that he gives, the, the specific thing, is to make disciples. That's the imperative. Um, if you, I was looking in the ESV Study Bible, it points out that in that sentence, the 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 command, the instruction is to make disciples. Um, then he tells them three ways to to do that: you, you go and you baptize and you teach. Just to give a overview of it, making disciples is the big idea. Now these verses have some some baggage that has come along with it from over the years, right? Good Baggage can be good, right? In fact, the fact that if, if you are a Christian, the fact that you are a Christian is a part of the good baggage that you have from these verses, right? Like, they took it seriously and they got to you, all right? So, so for us, we can't, we can't you know, discount this, but, but there is like a, there's a part of these verses that I feel like whenever you bring it up, it's easy for people to check out because they're either like, oh, well, I know that already, or um, yeah, 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 the Great Commission. You know? Or in some cases, it's, it's been used to kind of guilt you into doing more or um, to make you feel like you're not doing enough, you know, that, that, that you're letting the Lord down, you know, that, those kinds of things. And, and that, I hope that today is helpful. If, like, for whatever maybe weird baggage things are a part of this for us, because this needs to be pure, pure joy for us. Like this should not, this should have no weirdness to it at all, at all. And I think that maybe a part of a part of where that comes from is is if we're thinking of salvation, and we're thinking of this uh, everything about Good Friday and and Easter Sunday, like as one one thing, one motion. Um, if it's just about where will you spend eternity when you die, like if that's the that's the only thing, if that's when you think evangelism, you think that's what it means. You walk up to a stranger and say, "If you were to die today, where would you spend eternity?" You know? 
And then you start to sweat just thinking about doing that, right? If, we, if we're thinking about it only as what happens after you die, then we're, we're missing out on the full spectrum of goodness that God has here. And in order to understand the full spectrum, a part of that is remembering the context where these words were handed down. Is remembering that the victorious Jesus is sharing the spoils of his victory and sharing like that authority that has been given to him. And what is he doing with it? He's inviting people into it. And so I want to look at those, those commands and just for just a few minutes, but to constantly be thinking, who is handing them to us? Who is speaking this to us? It's, it's the resurrected Jesus completely healed and whole, but yet still has the scars, right? He, he's in front of you. He's the picture of Good Friday and the picture of Resurrection Sunday, all in one thing. That is who is speaking. And that this entire thing is not necessarily an instruction to do more. It's, it's, about, it's, about, it's an invitation. It's an opening that he has for us. So if you will, give me just a minute. To look at a couple of these things. So the first thing, if we're looking at this in the context of resurrection, the imperative there is to make disciples. So what, is, what, is, what does that mean? How do you go make disciples? What is that? Well, um, in, in their context, to become a disciple was to enter into a relationship. And so I've, you guys have heard me talk about it before, but when a, when he, and this wasn't for the young ladies, this was, a, this was a, a different time, but when a young man would have his bar mitzvah, whenever he would become of age, he would then become eligible to study underneath a rabbi, and he would go to the rabbi and he would say, can I, can I follow you? In other words, can I enter into a relationship with you where you begin to mentor me so I can watch everything you do and imitate you, and uh, my goal would be to become you. And the rabbi would only accept someone to be one of his disciples if he thought they had what it takes to be him. So there's a lot of rejection in those moments. Rabbis told a lot of young men, no, no, you can't. And so if they were told no, men would go back, go work in the family business. He said yes, then they would join this group of disciples and follow the rabbi around. And so when you see Jesus and the 12 disciples, that's what was going on. Except Jesus, uh, instead of, he went to all the rejects. Right? He went to all the ones who were working in the family business. And it was essentially saying, I know that that at some point you either got rejected by a rabbi or or you thought you weren't good enough in the first place to even follow. And I've come, I'm seeking you out. I'm telling you, you have what it takes. You invite them into relationship. And so what Jesus is doing is he's standing in front of them and he's saying, go invite people into this. This thing of ours that we have here. Go invite people into this this resurrection moment. This new way of life is now open to them because Jesus said so. That's part of the beauty of it. And if someone's like, why would, why would God want anything to do with me? Well, he does, because he said he does. He gets to pick that. Because he's the victor, and all the authority of heaven has been given to him. And what does he want to do? He wants you to come be a, one of his. He wants you to be in a relationship with him. 
And so we can't think of the Great Commission as this like instruction to go and make converts. It is it is the building of a family. It is the it is the like welcoming in of people, the ones that he died and rose again for. And as this family is, is building, Jesus is standing there and he's showing them in this moment what is possible for everyone that they go to. He's showing them and us exactly what hope looks like. He's standing there and he's showing them what Good Friday looks like and he's showing them what Easter Sunday looks like and he's saying, this, this is the forecast for life. <laughs> this is where everything is headed. I'm showing, I'm showing it to you in this moment. I'm showing you what it looks like to be healed. You wonder what your life could look like? It could look like this. What he's saying. Go make disciples. Go invite them into this resurrected life. Go show them what their life could look like. Go tell them that God believes in them. Go tell them that God has made a way for this life to be theirs as well. The shortcut answer for all this is that making disciples is to invite people into resurrection. And the shortest shortcut to saying that is like, just give them hope. Give them hope. This is what, this is what God can offer you. That this life is not all that there is. That he has opened up a way for there to be more. So that's, when I say he's sharing the spoils of his victory, that's what I'm talking about. He's saying this is, this is for the nations, right? He doesn't say go, go to the other Jewish people. He doesn't say go to the, only the Gentiles. He doesn't say go tell the, only the men or only the women or only the people, only the uh, people from this racial uh, profile or this ethnic background or Go find the people that made above this on the ACT or any any other kind of weird things that we have split each other up. He's saying, just go to the nations. There's enough of you. Go to the nations and tell them. And make make disciples. Invite them into this life. Bring them hope. And and here's three three specific ways that the outworking of that can look. The first one, he says, go. You got to go. So does that mean like does that mean go on a mission trip? Well, maybe. Does it mean go to the other side of the world and be a missionary? Yeah? Maybe. Does it mean go next door and meet my neighbors? No? Yeah. Does it mean go to the hardware store and be kind? Yeah. Can I I'll stop now. Yes, it means go, but it also means as as you're going. Like as you're going about your life. So it's, it's both those intentional strategic things that we do and it's just the casual like way that I live my life. We see, we see both of those with Jesus, right? Like Jesus, uh, he went from heaven to earth. Like that was a go for him. Uh, there are times when he would say, we're going to Galilee. We're going to Jerusalem. Like he would have those intentional strategic things. And then we see him just living his life. You know, people come up to him and, Need something, or he's like sitting by a well, and there's a lady comes up to draw water, and he starts talking to her. Like we just we see both of those things. We see him go, and we see him doing this as he goes. It's this lifestyle that that Jesus is saying is a part of it. There has to be this intentionality that's there, 
in groups this last week, we looked at a little bit more Mary Magdalene. She got to be the first person to, uh, to see Jesus, to talk to Jesus, and then to go relay that to the disciples. And in, in group, uh, I was, had this, had this thought of like, man, wouldn't that be, would that be awesome to get to be the first one to tell the disciples, you know, Jesus is alive. I saw him. And I almost said it, and I'm glad I didn't, because very quickly I felt like the spirit was like, hold on, how, how is she different than you? And that, yeah, huh? God does that with me sometimes. How, how, how is that any different than the opportunity that you have every day of your life? All right, point made. Go as you go is a lifestyle of, of going. So disciple making is, a, is just, it's a natural rhythm of life. Then he says, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So names in the Bible, names, names were connected to destiny and they were connected to character. And so to do something in the name of someone was to do something in the, that is consistent with their character. And so to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, a part of what that means is it is the character of the Father, Son, and Spirit to forgive and cleanse from sin. It's part of what we see in baptism. You invite them into the waters. You invite them into forgiveness and cleansing. Now this... uh, this requires uh, something that's called evangelism. That word's kind of been, it's another word that has some baggage to it for different reasons. But if you want to really think of what evangelism is, then you think about, go to, go to Christmas Eve in your mind, shepherds are out on the field, angels appear. They say, we have good news of great joy for all the people. For to you, this day is born a Savior. That's evangelism. If you, if your mind goes to like uncomfortable, like knocking on doors and like bullying people with the gospel type things, like if, if you swing toward those some of those negative examples, um, then let's let's just like cut that off. Just let that run. Just cut it off. Just let it let it go. Biblical evangelism looks like that. It is it is just to be a, a herald. Of that, of that wonderful news. Evangelism is saying, I've got something fantastic to tell you. Like I was saying with, with Mary Magdalene, what she did when she got there, I have something fantastic to tell you, that Jesus is alive. That's, that's what we are doing. Like the idea of baptizing them, inviting them into that, is like, I've got something fantastic to tell you. Um, Jesus is alive. God is who he says he is. Sin and evil and death have been defeated um, and if forgiveness is available to you, God wants to bring you into his family. He wants to baptize you into his family. He wants you to know that you are his son, to know that you are his daughter. Fantastic. But that's a conversation, right? That's, that's more than just, I'm going to go kind of like... Do I'm going to do my good things and be my kind person and all that kind of stuff and just kind of hope that God uses that lifestyle evangelism type thing. 
That's good. We should do all those things for sure. But I said this in the in the early service. Um, they didn't find it very funny. But um, there's that quote from St. Francis of Assisi. It's attributed to St. Francis. Um, of uh, Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. That's a great sentiment, um, but we just don't we don't see Jesus doing that, right? Um, the thing they didn't laugh at is I said Jesus was not a mime. <laughs> well, that's that's but that's good. I'll, I'll accept that. Jesus didn't walk around and just like act out the gospel and hope that people figured out what it was. You ever try to figure out what a mime is doing? It's super hard. Yes, he was kind, he was compassionate, and he did, he did all, the, all the things. He preached the gospel at, at all times, and when necessary, he used words. But it was necessary a lot. <laughs> he, he spoke it. And so, if we're going to go, if we're, those intentional, intentional goings and the like lifestyle goings, but as we're interacting with people, we, we got we to gotta talk about real life people. Like, it... This is too important for us to just exist in shallow relationships and shallow conversations and so tired of just that sort of like thing where we never go beneath a certain point with each other. Um, it's so easy to get together and just kind of like have like a, a very shallow, surfacey good time and all that stuff. And, and then you walk away and there's no substance, there's no content. What about with your neighbors? What about with your coworkers? What about with your family members? What about with the, the people who don't know the Lord? We, we get the privilege to go like Mary Magdalene and be the, maybe the first person to like lay it out for them. Now I know that has to be done carefully and strategically. I, under, I understand that there's a lot of things, especially the closer your relationships, there's a lot more to work with. I'm not discounting all of that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't, Agree that you just like hit them in the head with your Bible type stuff. Like I, I understand that there's some nuance to it, but I almost feel like 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 the tendency is to overcorrect and to go more that Saint Francis of Assisi quote route of like well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna like act it out and hope that they catch on. Maybe wait for them to ask. It's just not really what we see with Jesus. It's not what we see with the New Testament church. It's, it doesn't make sense when the resurrected Jesus is standing in front of you and saying, "Let's go invite people into this." Let's go to them and let's baptize them. Let's let them know that forgiveness is available to them, that God is alive and real and loves them. That's why making it just so laser-focused on what happens when you die is just missing out on so much more. So he says, go. He says, baptize. The third thing he says is to teach. And notice, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Go, go teach them to do the things that I taught you to do. Seems kind of broad, and you know, admittedly it is. Um, he gave them a pretty, pretty awesome summary in John 13, the night before he died. He says this, There's a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. He's like, this is the hallmark. This is how people are going to know. As you, as you love people the way that I loved you. It's not just love them based on any other like weird definition of love or, or however broad that is. It's a very specific definition of love. 
the way that Jesus loves. It's that kind of love. And so Jesus says, you, you, you go to him, you baptize him, like you invite him into that cleansing, into that forgiveness, into that family. Uh, you let him know that like Jesus, this is what Jesus did. This is the reality that we're working with here. Um, and then you're teaching them, whether that's before, before they become a Christian or after they become a Christian, you're teaching them how to love the way that he loved. Everything that I commanded you is taught that way. This is why we study the Gospels, because we have to know what we're trying to imitate. How, do, how, how can I love you the way that Jesus loves if I've never studied how he loves? And so we dive into the Word. That's where, that's where we learn those things. That's why even something like a four-year study through Mark verse by verse is so important, because... like. We're seeing all the nuanced ways and all the ways that Jesus loved, and how some ways it's really easy, and other ways, man, that's that's difficult, you know. But something I think is like if we were to pull pull these together, this idea of of resurrected Jesus in front of you, re- recreated, and, and he's like, this is what the future looks like. He's saying, look at me. This is what the future looks like. Let's let's bring people into this. Um, by going to them and by speaking the speaking the words to them and knowing like like articulating it and having those conversations and by modeling and showing them uh, everything that I taught you, which is basically all just agape love, right? How, how do we how do we do that? Like what what does that look like in in real life? Because some of our some of our examples are things that I've referenced before. Um, some of it is door to door evangelism or walking up to strangers at the mall or you know some of those kind of things. Um, and that that's some some of what the church has come up with. Uh, other times it is like those opportunities where you're you're in relationship with someone and you feel compelled to talk to them about it and you want to and sometimes you do and sometimes you don't and. Or maybe the next thing you know, you find yourself in a big theological debate with coworkers, and you're like, feel like you're drowning because you're like, I should know the answers to all these things, and I don't. Um, there's so many different different things out there. If we're going to pursue it, like how do we how do we pursue it, and what's important to remember? Um, let me just let me just give you two two. I'm going to try to do it very quickly. Two things that have been helpful to me in my studies in the last couple of weeks. Um, and it really it begins uh, like for me it begins with having this this as your your thought. Um, I want to show everybody where life is headed. Like Jesus has shown us what the future looks like in His resurrection. Not only the the like distant future, but even our own present moment now. And so there are things that we do, like in terms of evangelism and, and the Great Commission and all these kinds of things, like all these things are built around the idea that we now know where it's headed. That's why like hope and resurrection are, are basically like the same thing in so many ways. Because since Jesus is alive, we can, we can get through anything, right? Because he lives like a face tomorrow. Because he lives all fear Gone because I know he holds the future. Life's worth the living. So, so like those those things are all real and true and good. We have to think of the Great Commission as an expression of that, not as an instruction that's like 
detached from that somehow. That is the outworking of what Jesus has done, is, is this like invitation to like invite people into it. And so I've been reading a lot of, of N.T. Wright, which is no, no big surprise. He's uh, one of my dudes. And he doesn't know that, so don't tell him. I like to tell him in person. Um, he talks about two things that, I, for me, are, have been very practical. Um, he talks about justice, and he talks about beauty. And the pursuit of those, of, of those two things. When, when, I, when I say justice, certain things pop into your head. And, the, and, and, the, and justice is just a matter of, like, let's, let's find the things that are broken and let's, let's, let's set them right side up. Let's find where things have gone wrong. Let's make it right. And so we have all these opportunities for justice in, in our world where uh, things have gone wrong. And that's why there are homeless people. Uh, that's why there are... Um, that's why we have kids without families, and that's why we need things like foster care and CASA and stuff like that. Um, there are uh, things have gone wrong, and that's why, like, like the battle with like mental health and addiction, and there's like so many of these kind. There's all kinds of things where, like, man, stuff has gone wrong. How, how can we we enter into that and try to set it right side up? And it's easy to think of that as just uh, I'm going to go into this moment. I'm going to try to make this right for this person or this group of people, whatever it is. We go and we try to set it up right, and to limit that to to the here and now. And what NT Wright says is he's like, hey, that's not only making a difference now. You're you're showing them what the future looks like because of what Jesus has done. You're showing them in the future uh, there there will be no no such thing as a child that doesn't have a home. You're showing them that in the future there will, there will be no such thing as addiction or mental health problems. You'll, you're showing them that in the future there won't be things like 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 racism or uh, systems of poverty and, and those these things are not a part of the future. And so you enter into them now, and then setting them up right, you bless those people now, and you forecast for them exactly the hope that is found in Jesus in just this really practical way. And, and beauty beauty does the same thing. And at first I was like, beauty? What is that talking about? Because like justice, when you think of beauty, certain things pop into your head. And you have to kind of put aside any sort of like worldly, like shallow, like whatever kind of things of beauty. And to think of, of like true beauty. Like the, the heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19 kind of, of beauty, right? Um, that in, in the creation, in the created order, God is showing us who he is. That kind of beauty. And how when we bring beauty into the world, whether it's through something like justice or even like aesthetic type beauty, when, when, when art and music and uh, um, flowers, you know, those kinds of things that, that what, what they do is they have this way of connecting us to this greater creation and N.T. Wright, when I, first, when I first read it, I was like, There's, I don't know about that. And the more I sat in it, like my spirit was like, it's, it's true. That God uses those things to forecast, like, hey, it's not always going to be this way. And so and, and think about it in, in this term. If, if all the Christians in Baton Rouge were like, okay, we're going to go all in on the Great Commission in the ways that Jesus has said it, and in a in a ultra practical way, justice and beauty are going to be two of our things. So we're all going to enter into into places of injustice and work to set them right, so that we can forecast 
the hope that Jesus offers us. We make a difference in the moment, and we're saying, look, look where this is headed. What if, what if Christians were like, we, we're going to bring beauty in every possible way that we can? Even into ways that, that at first, maybe, like, and for some reason I keep coming back to, like, this, this building, and even, like, like this, this whole part of town. Like, what if, what, if, what if this church property was just the most beautiful thing in the area? And then that spread to the school, and spread to the park, it spread to all our partners, I mean, Paul's Deli across the street, they've already painted the building, right? They're already ahead of us on, on this. Like, what if, what if that kind of beauty, as people began to drive through, if you go from a, an area that's kind of, it just feels kind of dreary and whatever, and then you get to beauty, what does that say about what's happening here? It says that, that it's possible to say, we just want a pretty building, in which case, we should just put gates on our driveway and say, you can't park here, you can't turn around here, which some churches do, and that really bothers me. But what it says is like, hey, we believe there's more coming. We believe, we believe that there are better things ahead. And so we're going to enter into justice. We're going to enter into beauty. We're going to go. We're going to baptize. We're going to teach. We're going to make disciples. Because the victorious Christ has stood in front of us. He stood in front of us and he said, I've won it all. And here's what I'm going to do with it. We're going to invite everybody from every nation to be a part of this. And in every way possible, let's show them. Remember those three, remember how tangible his, his resurrection was? That they saw him and they heard him and they touched him? What if the Great Commission is just, it's just making those multi, those things like multi-sensory uh, types, types of things just more tangible for people? In fact, we didn't even talk about taste and smell, but the Bible does say taste and see the Lord is good. And it says that we are to God the aroma of Christ. What if God's like, let's just cover all the senses. Let's, let's make this invitation multi-sensory. So they can see it in action. They can hear it because we're speaking it to them. They can touch it because we're hugging them. They can smell the aroma of, of Christ. They're able to taste and see that the Lord is good because he's just saying, come on, come on, come on. Look, look where this is all headed. Don't you want to be a part of it? He wants you to be a part of it. The very last thing that he says to them in verse 19 it's like it can't get any better, and then he makes it better. I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you at every step, in every conversation, every bit of going and baptizing and teaching. Every, every time that you make it tangible and everything that you do, you never do it by yourself. I'm with you. And because he's with you, guess who else is with you? Father, Son, Spirit. And because they're with you, guess who's with you? The church. That even if even if you're isolated, one-on-one conversation with someone, you feel really alone, all that's what coming with you. Because the resurrected Jesus said so. 
And so this this works its way into every life. There's there's none of us. There are plenty of weeks where I'm like, this probably impacts some of you differently than others. This not a week. This is a week that's like all of us, all of us. This is a universal thing. This is a what an honor. There's a quote that uh, I haven't ever been able to find the real source of it. It says the the gospel came to you on its way to someone else. Aren't you glad? Like, aren't you glad that they didn't walk away that day being like, "Oh man, won't that be awkward?" What he just said to us. Yeah. Aren't you glad that they that they worked through their doubts and their concerns and and all that? And don't you feel like the fact that Jesus was alive had to be the overwhelming thing of like, well, it's hard to dispute the fact that he's living, so he's probably right. And so the resurrection has everything to do with the mission of the church. It has everything to do with your personal ministry and following of Jesus. The gospel coming to you on its way to other people in all these different ways. And so we're going to respond like we normally do. We're going to sing. But we're going we're to sing from two perspectives. The first song is, I, I just like for us to think about the gospel coming to you. The fact that from this moment... Till however you first met him, that God was strategically playing chess, moving everything to make sure that you as his daughter or as his son knew this. In the second song, we're going to shift in the more outward as it came to you and now it's on its way to other people. And perhaps as we sing that second song, maybe we sing that in thinking about some of the people that we know who don't know this Jesus yet. Maybe we sing it on their behalf, which sounds kind of strange, but maybe you sing words that they haven't been able to sing yet. But you sing them in faith, believing that they will. Maybe you sing them as a prayer, or whatever whatever you need to do. Um, but that's kind of where we're going in our last few minutes. And so, um, let's stand together, and uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll sing Lord, what a, what a humbling uh, text to look through and to think about um, what it was like for them to receive it that day and to have to process that and figure out what it looks like and work through, through their own shock and awe and everything else. Um, but at the end of it, they said yes. They went forward with this. They waited for the power of your spirit to come and empower them. And then it just took off like wildfire. And we're here today in part because of their faithfulness. But it isn't about them. It's about you and your your power and beauty being just working through those men and those women. So as we think about the gospel finding its way to us, Pray that whatever is stirs in us, we're able to express that to you. And as we think about it, going then through to others, that you would give us maybe just a renewed vision for that. That you would deepen our um, our drive, deepen our understanding of it. 
that you give us a vision for the resurrected Jesus standing in front of them and inviting them into this beautiful, incredible future.